1: Welcome back, Miller & Condon, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM, 20 minutes away or so. Our friend Zubin Mahente from ESPN will join us as we'll go around the world of sports with Zubin. Right now, let's stop and talk some baseball, shall we? He's Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com, one of their MLB writers uh, at the website. And he joins us as we are hours away from first pitch in Game 1 of uh, the 2020 World Series. Wasn't sure we were going to get here? Sure, glad we are, Matt Snyder. Good to speak with you, MLB. Uh, as the NBA and the NHL, um, in MLB's case, maybe it didn't start off as as smoothly as we would have liked. Uh, but boy, oh boy, certainly uh, they got things together, and her, here we are—the ultimate payoff for us baseball fans uh, with game number one of the World Series tonight. How are you, Matt?
2: I'm good. Yeah, it's uh, thinking back to when the Cardinals were were they shut down like two and a half weeks or something. It started to get worrisome. I'd like to be able to like go back in a time machine and tell myself during that time, hey, man, we're going to make the World Series. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Love that it's here. I don't feel like it could get derailed at this point. Uh, hopefully, I'm not jumping the gun, but I feel like we're going to get it done and we're going to have our complete season here in uh, the next week and a half or so.
3: Number 1 seed in each side. It is the Dodgers. No surprise. The Rays, though, they have the best record in the American League. Not a ton of people pick them coming in. Is it just because they're well, they in Tampa, they're not a national team, they're an expansion team without a big fan base? What was it that people weren't willing before the playoffs began really to wrap their arms around this race team?
2: Uh, I think a lot of people were were looking at the Yankees. I I thought the Yankees Mm -hmm. were going to knock them off, and it did go to five games. Uh, I I thought the Yankees were going to kind of flip a switch, and it looked like they did there at the start of the playoffs when they just destroyed the Indians. Um, but other than that, I don't think there was that much more to it. It's, uh, it just looked like a tough side of the bracket for the Rays, but kudos to them. They got through it. Uh, they're, they're very good at keeping runs off the board, uh, but the Dodgers are better at that. So I think that's it's going to be – this is a tall order for the Rays. Yeah. They, they are a good team. They're not some little engine that could. Uh, underdog story, although they are the underdogs in this series, to be clear. But uh, this is absolutely a very good team. This is a team that deserves to be here but that doesn't mean that they're better than the Dodgers because they're not. The Dodgers are better.
1: Yeah, we saw that. I mean, the Braves gave them they gave them all they wanted and yet the Dodgers were able to win three straight games to punch their ticket to the World Series. You know, just on the Braves real quick cuz I know that there's a lot of Braves fans out there with TBS and the impact that they had and then, you know, the run that they had in the late 90s with that staff, etc. A lot of a lot of uh, Braves fans, you yeah, know, they're disappointed, but at the on the other hand, have to be a pretty good I would think about where their team is at. A lot of youth on that team. We saw a lot of Pitchers that we'd never heard of before. When Soroka went down, when Cole Hamels, who was going to be a part of that rotation, when he couldn't answer the bell this year, Uh, Braves fans have to be yeah, they feel bad, but have to on the other hand have to feel pretty good that this team looks like they're on the cusp and they're going to be here for a while.
2: Yeah, I'm sure that they still didn't want to hear about it yesterday, but maybe now it's been over a full day. They get distance from it. You look ahead and. That young offensive nucleus is ridiculous. And in Freddie Freeman's still not even old. Uh, Travis Darnot is not even old. That was a brilliant signing. It looks like something really sh- sh- shook loose with him this year. I-, I think he's legit. I don't think it was a fluke at all. It will be interesting to see if they try to retain Marcelo Zuna or-, or what they do in place of him with the DH spot. But just to team that offense with what we saw from Max Freed and Ian Anderson in that rotation and to get Soraka back next year. As you mentioned, he went down with an Achilles injury this year. That's a nice big three that is set up for years to come for you- them to, to pair with Ronald Acuna Jr., and Freddie Freeman and that offense.
1: This team is in great shape. Mm. You know, I, I didn't know much about Pache, the center fielder, um, b- before the the the, the playoffs started. I've heard him compared to Andrew Jones, which is you know pretty pretty high praise. Yeah, that's a bit much, <laughs> right? But at the same <laughs> yeah. time, he's he, he's a young kid. He can cover a lot of ground. I get why they're you know I'm, I'm with you. I think it's it's too early yet, but they've got something there in Pache. I think.
2: I do too. Uh, looking at his leagues, now guys develop power at the big league level. We've seen that Francisco Lindor barely hit for any power in the minors, for example, just off the top of my head, name one. Uh, but Pache didn't really hit for much power in the minors. If anything, the, the comps that I've been hearing from scouts who have watched him it is like Jackie Bradley Jr. when he was at his best, which I don't know, maybe that doesn't sound as great. But remember, he hit over 20 home runs, was a really good hitter, was an all star a few years back. Somebody, something like that. An exceptional defender, an exceptional base runner who could hit like seventh for a, a contending team and be a very good seven-hole hitter. So, something like that I think is a lot more realistic than someone who I think should be in the Hall of Fame in Andrew mm-hmm. Jones. But, uh, you know, it's, you get it. Like It's brave. It's a great defensive center fielder who's playing in the playoffs and getting first glimpse nationally. I, I can see why somebody would say that.
3: So Matt, uh, let's jump into the series a little bit deeper here. First, uh the schedule. After we saw seven games in seven days for, for both the AL and NLCSs, we do have days off built in here. Thursday they won't play between games 2 and 3, and uh no game between game 5 and 6 if we get to that point later on in the series. Do Do you prefer what we saw in that slog and just the arms and how different it was, those late games in each of the series? Or do you like a couple of off days built in here?
2: I I think I'm going to totally count out and say both. Yeah, (laughs) I, I really, really enjoyed seeing them get up against it and having to use your entire pitching arsenal and having to scheme for every little thing and having both those series go to seven games and to see teams... Scramble. You use stars and relief. How are we going to piece this game together? I really liked seeing that, and I liked that depth got rewarded. Um, but now that we're at the World Series, and you feel like a lot of the top relief arms have just been run into the ground, it might be better for the, the level of play now that we've gotten here, now that depth's been tested just to say, all right, now we need to see you guys at your best.
1: You know, if you take the top three pitchers for Tampa Bay, and in in no particular order, uh, Glasnow starts tonight, Snell and Morton, and then you line them up with, you know, Bueller and Kershaw, and I guess Urias would be that third one. Can you you make a case that maybe Tampa has an edge in, in, in those three starters over the Dodgers' three starters?
2: Yeah, you could. Uh it, just in raw stuff now now that Kershaw's thirty two years old and has a bad back, uh-huh.
1: hello, did we lose Matt? I don't th- think we did all right we'll we're no there you nope. go ahead, yeah, we lost you for a it, second it, it, there
2: oh okay, sorry, uh did you hear any of
1: it? I don't think so. <laughs> Kershaw's got a bad back
2: damn <laughs> <laughs> i think yes the answer the short answer is yes you you could make a case. Uh, that they have better raw stuff. I, I like the Dodgers starters better overall. For the most part, they allow them to get deeper into the game, and that's just the way the Rays do things, and that's fine. But yeah, I think you could say in terms of like raw stuff, yeah, I, especially because Glasno. I mean, he, he's
1: no. Mm-hmm.
3: There are a guy out there right now, Matt, that you look at that becomes a star, be, becomes part of the lexicon. Of course, everyone knows Mazarena.
2: That's the guy that <laughs> had, he loves him. Reserve- now. yeah Yeah. Uh, I, I just the only thing on a Rosarina that gives me pause is some of these are just completely unsustainable. He's in the groove, yep. and guys get hot. Uh, I know we already know about him, but I feel like Corey Seager this year returned mm. to MVP form. Remember, as a rookie, he finished third in MVP voting. He just won the NLCS MVP. Uh, don't sleep on Corey Seager. He, he's a legitimate superstar caliber player. Um, I, he he's better than Cody Bellinger moving forward for me. Wow! But it it, it might the answer might be Will Smith. Uh, he had yeah, that high yeah. profile three run home run because it was Will Smith against Will Smith. Yep. <laughs> but he looks like he could be the best catcher in baseball for a decade. Wow.
1: He looks
3: like he's twelve.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a hell of a so player. That's why he can go keep going for a decade. I'd like to be his agent. Yeah. All right, how about in the how about in the dugout? Is there one manager, Dave Roberts or Kevin Cash? Either of these guys in over their head, or is there an edge in the managerial no. spot? Uh, no, I don't think either of them is over their heads at all. I think if One thing for, for Dave
2: Roberts, for me, he did, he did so many times in past years, and you could even argue that he did in Game 4 if he mishandled Clayton Kershaw, whether it was shoehorning him into a game in relief like he did against the Nationals last year and then they lost with those back-to-back homers, or, or leaving him in a batter or two too long. I just feel like he's sabotaged him a lot. But I also think winning those three games in a row with their backs against the wall, when surely all the Dodgers fans were going, not again, not again, that might have gotten a bit of a monkey off his back. To hear him declare after the game, this is our year, so confidently, I feel like he's going to be a lot more laid back in this series. And on Kevin Cash, the way that the Rays do things so methodically, just it seems like he took out his starter too early in game six, for example, but that was the plan. I mean, even Blake Snell was mad about that. But they just stick to their plan. They don't really stray. So I think we're going to see exactly what we've seen from, from the Rays. And I think Roberts will be a lot more laid back and do a better job with pitching. Does anybody have more
3: fun playing baseball than G-Man Choi? That guy's always <laughs> got a smile on yeah. his face. He just
2: he makes the games
3: fun to watch.
2: Yeah, there. I mean, there are a lot of guys in this series. I've seen a lot of, like, the Rays are so fun. They have so much fun. I feel like a lot of it is, like, this salary thing We think since the Dodgers have so many players that make so much money, they don't have – but, I mean, look at, like, Mookie Betts when he made that catch in game six, how crazy he went. And, uh, like, greater all, when Cody Bellinger robbed Fernando Tatis Jr. and he went crazy with that celebration, probably a bit too much. But uh, I think both of these teams are having an absolute blast right now.
1: Mm, You trust Kenley Jansen? He was good when we saw him late in the series. Yeah. He's had his problems. Is that a problem for the Dodgers?
2: Not right now. I, the, the way he looked last time out, man, that stuff was spot on. I mean, he doesn't throw nearly as hard as he does uh, as he used to, but the movement he was getting there on that cutter, I absolutely think, especially because the Rays, they haven't seen him all year. A lot of them have never seen him. It, to, to be unfamiliar with a guy and then have a ball move like that and you don't know how far it's going to move, you don't know where it's going to move, it, it, he's going to be tough.
1: Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com. Call your shot and in how many games, Matt?
2: I had Dodgers in five. Oh, no! Uh, again, no, no no, offense to the Rays. Uh, like I said, they're not some little engine that could. They're a legitimately good team, but with the way the Dodgers won those last three games, I think this is it. The monkey's going to be off their back. I think they're going to co- go, come out like gangbusters and not look back.
1: I'm not saying, oh, no, because of the Dodgers. I just want more than five games, <laughs> selfishly. Yeah,
2: I, no, I agree. I always, I usually always say seven just because I want seven. <laughs> right.
1: but this one, I just have a feeling. Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com. Matt, thank you for what you do for us all baseball season. We really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Sure thing. Have a good one, guys. Yeah, you do the same. Matt Snyder, as we talk a little MLB World Series. Well, should we go on record at the end of the show? Do you have an opinion on this? I grabbed the
3: raise. You went, did? Uh, right away at plus 190. Like the value there. Uh-huh. Because I think this is a tighter series than that price indicates. Not a huge play by any means, but mm-hmm. that was one that uh, I jumped on. Seen that number has gone down quite a bit. Has it really? Down to like my uh, plus 170 now, I think is what you can get raised at least at DraftKings. So that's something I looked at. I was trying to find the exact. Result, Dodgers and six, mm-hmm. Rays and seven, whatever it is. Haven't found them yet, but by the end of the show, I'll have them. We can play around with that a
1: little bit. All right, Zubin Mahente is going to join us next, but right now it's time to give you an opportunity for another $1,000 handoff. Text the keyword check to 200, 200. Right now it's your chance to win 1000 bucks. Check to 200, 200.
0: You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. All right,
1: Zubin Mahente is up next as we take you. You until noon. We'll go on record before we get out. You're taking the race. Got the raise. I bet on the race. You bet on the race. So if you bet on them, that means you're pulling for them and taking them. My prediction might be different than what I bet ah, on. Ah, okay. Don't you put your money where your mouth is, though? No, no. I'm you all over the place. Okay. Uh, we'll, uh, I'm my bets. 1120 Miller and Cond until noon. Zubin next. 1460 KXNO. 106.3 FM.
0: We supply the sports. The beer is up to you. 1460 AM, 106.3 FM, this is .org. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM, this is KXNO.
1: Welcome back. to Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Take you up until noon. Let's get our friend Zubin Mahente in here. ESPN Radio. Mornings on ESPN Radio. Along with Jay Will and Keyshawn Johnson. They had Rod Manfred on the program this morning. Anxious to pick Zubin's brain about that. Zubin, Trent and Kent,
4: thank you for coming on. How are you? Doing great. World Series ready to go. Manfred was with us this morning and, uh, I got to tell you, you know, people say these commissioners come on and they're pretty stodgy. Uh, he had a lot of stuff to say. I was uh, not pleasantly surprised. I didn't know what we were going to get. But you guys know after years of doing this, sometimes your your uh, answers are a direct reflection of the questions that are asked <laughs> to a guest. And we were pretty pointed with him from the latest stuff with the Astros all the way through his relationship with Tony Clark. So. Anything you got? Let me know. He was uh, very wide open, and I was uh, pleasantly surprised to hear I really was. That's
1: interesting. If he, if he um, could do a do-over on how the Astros uh, was handled, would uh, I mean, did that come up? How did he think that that um, that that played out from the time that the cheating was discovered until they got knocked out of the ALCS? If he could do anything over with the Astros, would he?
4: My inclination was, from what we asked him, he would not want to mulligan. He would not want to do over the discipline I think he thought was right for what needed to be done at that time, specifically this morning. I don't know if you guys saw there was a big story, I'm sure he did yesterday, about Jeff Lunau essentially saying the old general manager of the Astros that was fired by Jim Crane after being suspended by baseball, uh, that he essentially was shocked that he was implicated that anything happened. He had 22,000 text messages from the Houston Astros video personnel that would help clear him and he would be willing to take a lie detector test for Manfred to basically try to exonerate himself. And when I posed all of those things to the commissioners, he said, believe it or not, the 22,000 text messages that were unearthed and Luna says he has from the Astros video personnel, he goes, that is just scratching the surface. It's a tiny amount of the text messages that were there. I can only imagine how much communication there was. He did say that no matter what... um, despite whatever Lunau says about exoneration, the evidence does seem to indicate for sure in Manfred's mind that he was a part of it. And he also said that uh, no matter what, after the Yankees-Red Sox-Apple Watch situation happened, where you might recall one side uh, accusing the other of cheating, using technology, that Manfred sent out a memo, and you might remember this, to all the teams harshly talking about the penalties for cheating, and the fact that the Astros situation came after that that was something Manfred said, listen, this had nothing to do with the of the Apple Watch, but as soon as it happened, I sent out a very, very big memo, and if anything happened after that with regards to the timeline, anybody was going to pay the price. So he believes 22,000 text messages aren't going to save Lou now, and he also believed that once he put that memo out, anything that happened post was going to be handled swiftly. I thought the other thing, I thought he seemed really interesting. He said that Major League Baseball expected too much out of the gate but he did say that they scaled back and didn't try to overdo it, but he did overestimate what they were going to probably be able to get done at the outset. As you guys know, I believe 28 of the 30 teams played 60 games, two teams played 58, so eventually everything did eventually get solved and the overwhelming majority of games were played. He's got a great relationship with uh, Tony Clark. He said it was an ugly chapter and he was very sorry to put the fans through that mm. with all the public bickering. Yeah. Uh, but he did say sometimes that's the way it works in negotiation. Would not commit to a 162 game season next mm. year and would not commit to the season starting promptly on time since the regular season and postseason, quote unquote, are coming to an end just when we thought they would, even if there was no pandemic. The World Series would be played, obviously, as you know, right around uh, this time. So nothing yet on 2021, but that was something we needed to discuss because yep. as you guys know, there's going to come a point where the players are going to ask for money and the owners are going to say we don't have any because of the pandemic. That's a problem for another day, but <laughs> he's also very excited uh, to get ready for uh, the World Series. He just you know, talks about how sometimes people talk about his lawyer background and him being the commissioner and people lose sight of the fact that he's like a fan. He's attended numerous games, he told me, in various rounds throughout this postseason. So he's excited to just kind of watch baseball. Like you guys are huge baseball fans, much bigger than me. But he also wanted to emphasize, like a lot of people out there, he's a fan. He may be the leader of a $10 billion industry, but he's a
3: fan. You can find that. Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin is the name of the show. And, of course, you can find the podcast. Go back and hear from MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred over there. Zubin, let's get into some football. And want to start in the college game as you're a Rutgers alum. Your team gets started again. The Big Ten gets started again this weekend. And, well, we see Jeff Brown will not be with the team for Purdue a much more stringent policy in place for both players and coaches in the Big Ten compared to what we've seen in the other conferences. But the hope is that with more stringent testing, that they'll be able to get out in front of this. As you look at the Big Ten alone, will there be cancellations? Do you anticipate we're going to see the same round that we've seen seemingly everywhere else? It's tough. We
4: had Paul Feinbaum out this morning, and you guys well know, if you're trying to play 8-8 eight and eight or 9-9, nine and nine, if you want to talk about the championship game or whatever the crossover game is going to be between the divisions, you're basically dealing with absolutely no margin of error. I mean, the SEC, it was imperative to play that Alabama-Georgia game. I don't think it was in question. We had Tom Rinaldi join us yesterday. And he said the game was never in question with or without Saban. But as you know, they've baked one week into the back of their regular season. Any SEC game that needs to be made up will be made up on December 12th, LSU-Florida-Missouri-Vanderbilt. But once we get to a situation where a team, as you know, has to make up a second game, that's where you get in huge trouble. Remember, the college football playoff committee will release the four teams. Bill Hancock and the guys will release the four teams on December twentieth. The SEC championship game is on the nineteenth, and the makeup week is on the twelfth. They at least have that makeup week, as you guys well know. Uh, the Big Ten doesn't really have that particular luxury. And to your point, friend, the fact that if a player tests positive, you're going to be basically missing let's call it three games, right? I mean, I think that's fair to say if you're going to miss 21 days and there's no bye week. So I do think they're taking it a little bit more stringently, but I think some of this, and I would never, you know, cast aspersions on anybody, but when you're the first league that says you don't want to play, you're not ready to play, you're not willing to take or mitigate any level of risk, and you're going to postpone the season, when you do return, you probably have to return super cautiously. So, at the end of the day, would they like to have their testing be like the ACC, the Big 12, the SEC? Uh, perhaps, obviously, coaching situations are different, as you saw in Saban, three negative tests. But if you're a league that was the very first to say, we're going to shut this thing down because we're scared, I don't think you can come back with anything less than a totally, quote-unquote, super stringent plan. Look, I mean, if Justin Fields gets the coronavirus, and I'm not hoping for anybody, but if somebody of that ilk, Sean Clifford, gets the coronavirus, and you miss three games, and it's an eight-game season, Mm -hmm. and you only have a couple teams in the league that even have a realistic shot probably of making the playoffs, it's going to be an issue. But I do think, like I said, once you come out this strongly against not playing, I think, two presidents or doctors, epidemiologists at Michigan and Michigan State, if I'm not mistaken, when you have that at the leadership of your conference, you can not come back with something that's considered lax by the general fan base.
1: Uh, Zubin for from ESPN is our guest yeah, the the SEC's already taken advantage of that uh, December 12th as uh, LSU and Florida uh, have been parked there Zubin and you touched on it here briefly with the playoff committee etc as much as any reason I'm looking forward to the Big Ten coming back and, and I absolutely am uh, I want to see where Ohio State fits into the upper echelon of college football right because as we sit here today watch Clemson week after week just bludgeon teams when they want to uh, watch Alabama Yes, they struggled against Old Miss, but they prevailed in the end and then came back and uh, did a number on a good Georgia team, a game that uh, Alabama trailed at halftime and didn't give up a score in the second half. Where I'm going, Zubin, is it seems as though we're destined again for Bama and Clemson, and I'm okay with that. But at the same time, if Ohio State uh, works its way into the conversation, I might be better with that. that uh, I think Ohio State belongs. I think college football would be better if there's another team that's in this conversation.
4: I'll give you an example that's a little bit of a tangent to what you're saying, Ken. We have Paul on the program, and I've been working with him for a long time, and he was on SportsCenter yesterday or the other day, and they said, give me your top four teams in college football. And I think he was being somewhat serious, but not totally serious. He actually had BYU at number four. And so I we talked to him this morning. And I'm like, hey, look, I know BYU, Zach Wilson, great offense. It's an offensively driven sport. They've done a great job. There's no question about it. But really, number four? And even though I really love what Kalani Sitaki has done, but Paul basically said, listen, you know, you guys know sometimes you go on TV. You got to give something a little interesting out there to make sure you entice the viewer. But what he really said was, "Listen, I'd love to put Ohio State sports, but I just can't because I haven't seen it. You know." And those are the types of things that just need to end. Like you got to see this team on the field to get a more complete picture of college football. That's just a small example of Paul Reaching going somewhere he ordinarily might not because he just can't evaluate a team he hasn't seen, even though he knows if it's all systems go, this is going to be one of the most dominant teams uh, in the sport. Keep in mind, you know, Ohio State came out of nowhere to win the very first playoff when many people were questioning why they were even in it back in 2014. So I agree with you. I think it needs to happen just because without it, and really without Oregon, and, you know, Keyshawn keeps telling me USC is going to be something. We'll see. But even without Oregon and Ohio State, we just aren't getting the complete picture of the sport. And the beautiful thing about this sport, if you're going to be 130 teams in the FBS, it's only a small amount, obviously, having a chance to win the whole thing. Every one of those small teams needs to be seen, needs to be evaluated. So with all due respect to the other 13 teams in the league, and I certainly think Iowa, and I'm very interested to see how Petrus looks and all that sort of stuff. To me, the Big Ten rides and dies, so to speak, with Ohio State. And I don't think you can get a firm, clear picture of the sport unless you see them, and thankfully that's coming through.
3: Puka Williams from mm. Kansas has opted out. He is, uh, after playing four games this season, he is – calling it good. He got the kickoff return, a little more on the tape for the NFL scouts, and away he goes. This is not a Puka Williams conversation, though. This is a big-picture conversation. When you look at this team starting to lose games, maybe a program like in Ohio State, maybe some Auburn guys now are thinking about that. How prevalent, Zubin, do you believe this is going to be as the season progresses, guys, saying, I'm good, I'm done for the season?
4: Oh, I certainly think it's going to happen, especially if there are teams that have guys that are angling for the playoff, aren't going to make it, uh, have two losses, and cut their losses. We had Sean Wade. I'll give you an example. We had Sean Wade on from Ohio State, who's a terrific, terrific player, right there with Justin Fields, Michael Parsons, some of the great players that are scheduled to come out of this conference his, you know, is uh, not going to be playing either. And uh, Key asked him, he goes, would you opt uh, back out if you guys start to struggle? And I think he was really surprised that Key asked him that question. And honestly, when you get a question like that, the good – the good thing about surprising somebody, not in a nefarious manner, but when you surprise somebody like that, what you can almost guarantee is you're going to get an honest answer because they don't have the ability to default or go to the dope no comment. They feel like they have to answer it. And he essentially said, um, "I wouldn't rule it out." So for everybody that thinks it's all about playing for the Buckeye and the helmet, or playing for the Tiger Hawk, or playing for the Big Eye with the maroon helmet, I think you know you have to step yourself back into reality and realize these guys—they can always come back to campus. But the big prize awaits. So I definitely think Puka Williams, uh, Sean Wade, a lot of these other guys are basically thinking what they don't want to verbalize because obviously if you can run through it, let's get to the playoff, and you can provide some excellent game tape if you get to the playoff for sure. Um, but I do think there's a lot of guys out there that have that in the back of their mind. and it just matters. If you're Kansas, it doesn't even have to be a certain number of losses; it just has to be I can't take one more hit. Whereas if you're an Ohio State player, maybe it has something to do with the amount of losses. And the limiting of exposure if you happen to lose a handful of games. So I think for every guy, that number might be different. That decision might be different based on a variety of factors, but I definitely think it's in the back of a lot of guys' minds.
1: Uh, Zubin, primetime, uh, late afternoon window on Sundays. We moved to the NFL here it was Green Bay and Tampa Bay, and Green Bay got off to a good start, a terrific start, uh, only to see it go horribly bad if you're a Packer fan. But on the, uh, at the same time, it lo- it looks as though Tampa Bay uh, starting to figure things out. I mean, a new system for the new quarterback, new old quarterback, uh, who's now getting more comfortable with his receivers. Is it an overreaction, Zubin, to say that what Tampa Bay did specifically behind that defense and knowing they've got enough guys on offense, um, to think that maybe the best team right now in the NFC might not be the unbeaten Seattle Seahawks or uh it, it might be Tampa Bay because boy oh boy, that was eye opening to me how they did the Packers on Sunday.
4: Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, obviously Scott and Green made the ten point lead and then reeling off thirty eight unanswered. I mean, that was amazing. Like you said, it was really due to their opportunity to defense. It's really the first time we were discussing this earlier in the week. It was the first time that Gronk really showed up all season long. I know Arians has been protecting them, saying he's been more of a pass blocker and don't really look for him in the passing game. But he really showed up for the first time. I think the bigger picture issue with the the Bucks, and I think this is an issue that the NFL is grappling with, and as you guys know, has been for a while. They actually have an African-American offensive coordinator and an African-American mm-hmm. defensive coordinator that are both certainly going to get some looks. Everybody puts it on Eric the Enemy, get that. Our Dan Graziano, our NFL insider, he was with us this morning, and he's very high on this guy named Arthur Smith, who's the offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans. Obviously, LeFleur used to be in that position. He's extremely high. Um, maybe it's just because of the development of, of um, Ryan Tannehill and what they've been able to do, and obviously Derrick Henry speaks for himself. But for the Bucks looking ahead, Ken, I would say, yeah, I think they are perhaps the class of the NFC. Uh, at this particular point, Seattle it never been 5-0 in franchise history, so you have to kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. But if the league is looking to not go retread and looking to kind of increase its minority hiring, the enemy is there, and there's some talk about, you know, other people getting a second chance. But Byron Leftwich running that offense, um, and a guy like Todd Bowles, who already has been a head coach, running their defense. I think those are two guys that they continue to play well and turn into the class of the NFC. That's something I think a lot of NFL teams will be looking at uh, those two guys, a former head coach and a former quarterback.
3: We get to see Tua. He mm. will get the start for Miami. And a surprise, a Dolphins team that has shown signs of playing really good football the last couple of weeks. They know they're still not a team that's going to be contending for a Super Bowl here. How surprised were you by the news, Ubin?
4: A little bit. I saw Adam uh, broke that a little while ago, Adam Jepter And I guess it's one of those things where this is the way I see it, and I don't exactly know how Flores is, is looking at it. you got to remember the first few games last year, The Dolphins are on the verge of having one of the worst defenses in the history of the NFL. And then they ended the season by defeating the New England Patriots at Foxborough. So clearly they know what they're doing. They're just doing it on their own timetable versus what people expect to see from us. I do think I'm a big fan of this. And this is why I love seeing Joe Burrow start on day one and things like that. To me, if it's an inevitability, I just think you make change sooner rather than later. Yes, this magic is great. He can get you out to a good start. He's a great mentor. But as tragic as what happened to Tyrod Taylor with that mishap, that medical mishap with the punctured lung. Mm. The reality is he was keeping the seat warm for Justin Herbert and and look, you know, Graziano told us they're doing great things with Herbert. They're using the play clock at twenty. They're not letting him have that full allotted forty five seconds. He's an introvert, so is Tyrod. They both get along well in the quarterback room. But at the end of the day, if you know Justin Herbert is your guy, do you really need to see him ball out against the New Orleans Saints in a close loss to do it? Just do it. And I think it's the same thing with Tua. You drafted the guy not to sit him. I mean, look, there have been many situations like John Kittin and Carson Palmer over the years, but those aren't happening anymore in the National Football League. where a number one pick sits behind a guy. So I like the way the Bengals did it with Burrow. I get it. They haven't won a game in 30 years in the playoffs. I mean, what else is new? Just give it a shot and roll it out. How bad could it be? But I do believe for other teams like Tua and the Dolphins, Herbert and the Chargers, if you know change is coming and it's coming sooner rather than later – delaying it at all to me just doesn't make any sense why so you can just pick up a couple extra wins in one year when you're on a three to four year plan anyway right a five-year plan anyway so i'm not surprised to see it i just think in situations like this sooner rather than later it's best for everybody involved no
1: no doubt about it Uh, zuma my last thing for you nfl wise um, saw the Chiefs yesterday. Uh, again, they, the week before they lost to the Raiders, uh, as, as we know. They they beat the Patriots. I didn't think they, they particularly looked good in that game, but they won by better than two touchdowns. Do they look as invincible to you as, well, at least I thought that they were going to be coming into the year. I, I thought that, boy, I'm not sure this team is going to lose a football game. They're that much better than everybody. Return all those guys, dot, 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 off a Super Bowl win. Do they look as good six weeks in as, as you thought that they were going to?
4: I think so because I tempered my expectations just a little bit because I almost look at the Chiefs, I almost compare them. This is an odd comparison, but I'm sure you guys, uh, as being huge college football fans, hopefully might agree with me. It's sort of like the Trevor Lawrence expectations last year. When you're coming off that championship, I mean, if he, if he, you know, if he throws two balls over the head of a receiver but throws six touchdown passes, it's like, man, what's wrong with Trevor Lawrence? He missed those two throws, you know? And I think what's going on here with the Chiefs is we're setting an impossibly high standard because you say to yourself, you get Clyde edwards Delaire, who actually busted out last night, but in between the first game and yesterday, had been rather quiet. You have McCole Hardman, you have Sammy Watkins, you have Tyreek Hill, you have Patrick Mahomes, you have all that, so the expectation is you'll be able to roll. But our guy seems to think, he seems to think, that if they played the Pittsburgh Steelers, it would be a knockdown drag-out fight. Obviously, they've gotten the best of the Ravens uh, at this point already. So I just tend to think that I'm not shocked just because I think once they won, we put an unfair set of expectations on them. Look, I mean, if the 49ers complete one more pass, they win the Super Bowl, and this week's matchup between Jimmy G going back to Foxborough becomes the biggest story of the NFL season, even though right now it's being talked of in very, very hushed tones and very quietly. All credit in the world for Mahomes to complete that third down pass, but, you know, that pass doesn't get completed. They don't win the Super Bowl and then we look at them totally differently. So I'm not too shocked just because I do feel, not that the rest of the league is catching up to them, but even though you have an embarrassment of riches, it's not a guarantee for anything. Right now, I mean, I, I look, if they play Tennessee right now, despite Tennessee's record, I think I'd take Kansas City. But if they play Pittsburgh, I'm not sure who I would take, even after the loss of Devin Bush. And that strategy or that logic probably tells me they're really, really, really good. we probably put them on an unfair plane.
3: Get you out on a basketball note. Zubin Mahete joining us from ESPN. Pacers today Fah hired Nate Bjorkren as their head coach. Not a Nate Bjorkren question for you, but I know you follow the NBA very closely. What uh, what are you hearing? The possibility? When is a return? Nothing imminent at this point, but what are the rumblings that you hear when we're going to get the NBA back now after the bubble?
4: I think it's going to be later rather than sooner. I think there was some discussion about January, maybe even February, I do think the league, this is just my personal inkling, I haven't spoken to anybody about this particularly, I do think that the league wants to return with fans. And if that's going to be what you want to do versus, you know, the 12,000 we'll see tonight at the World Series, if you want to return to full arenas or as close to full as you can get or having some sort of atmosphere, you're probably going to have to be later rather than sooner. So I do believe the league is willing to push off a little bit into 2021 if that just means when they eventually open – to get fans back in there. Real quick on the Pacers hire, I would tell you Nate McMillan did a great job, but they want to become much more offensively oriented. Um, you know, Nate McMillan was basically swept in his last three NBA playoff appearances. Uh, he's an old-school guy. Obviously, everything going on with the Raptors is pretty darn new school and pretty darn successful. So mm-hmm. this will be interesting. They were really kicking the tires on Tony earlier. They really wanted to become much more of an explosive offensive team. They want to make sure Oladipo and Turner stay. They're not really quite sure whether that's going to happen. Uh, so this will be an interesting hire. But, again, this guy is uh, as anonymous as they come. I bet you they said the same thing about Nick
1: Nurse. We know how that turned out. <laughs> yeah, Iowa for Nick Nurse, Storm Lake for Nate Bjorkren. How about that? Zubin, great stuff as always. We'll talk to you in a week's time. Have a wonderful week, Zubin Mahente. Appreciate it. You got it, guys. Thank you. Good to talk to you, Zubin Mahente, Uh ESPN Radio Morning. Storm Lake in Carol with two NBA coaches. The hotbed of it's NBA coaches, Western Iowa. Did you ever run into him? Yeah, when he was
3: with the energy. Yep, yep, a couple of times. You know, just kind of a passing hello, talk a little uh-huh. hoop, say hey, what's going on, this kind of thing. But nothing deep, no right. deep conversations, anything like that. The Nick Nurse story. It's, now the Nick Nurse coaching tree. Now it's yes, the coaching tree <laughs> first branch. Never no, in a million. I'm with and, you and and people in those circles were saying these guys know. Yes, they're they're coaching in back mm-hmm. then. What was it? The D League. The D League, right. These guys aren't going to be. Maybe they'll get an assistant job. Best case scenario. And he did out of it and paid his dues. He was assistant. But that was best case I'm scenario, with you, Trent. And here they are. He's got a ring. Now and they a got brand new contract. One sixteenth of the coaching jobs in the NBA. <laughs>
1: when you look at it that way that's even more impressive we'll wrap things up who do we like in the World Series uh we will uh, do that before we skedaddle on out of here just before noon it's Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO and one 106- oh and 10309. Minutes here on a Tuesday. Cappy's with us tomorrow. Centurion Stone of Iowa sponsors David Kaplan. He'll be in his normal spot tomorrow at eleven o five, talking those first place Chicago Bears. Yes, how about that? And uh, Cubs, White Sox, and Chicago sports as well. Well, Trent, you've uh, bet the Rays. Yes, you're picking the Dodgers. <laughs> <laughs> Not
3: really. I, I, I'm just sticking with the Rays. Yeah,
1: I, I like the price. long
3: series. Yes. Yeah, this thing's going six seven. Right in that range. Where are you? Well,
1: I, I'm kind of I'm pulling for the Rays. I think if I had to pick a team, just because seemingly they've come out of nowhere and mm. their payroll is nowhere near what the Dodgers are spending. I like parts of that Dodgers lineup. I mean, I don't root against them by any yeah. means. They're uh, not the Yankees or the Red Sox. No, I don't know a uh, a Rays fan. Do you, I mean, no, are there no. any in Central Iowa? There might be one or two. Might be one or two. Remember,
3: we did that last year with Heartland Flags. The Random fan of the day? Yes. We, did we ever do the
1: Rays? I don't know if we Probably did. Probably should have. Yeah. Um, we did some random ones, that is for sure. And I, and I always found one or two, mm-hmm. but obviously there's a lot of Dodger fans. Look, here's what I want. I want it to go seven games. Yes. I just don't feel like it will. But the, with, the, with the way the Dodgers came back and took the final three, but I'll say this. I mean, the, 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 the starting three, the, the three pitchers that lead the rotation for the Rays, Trent, Morton, Glassnow, and Snell. I think they're as good as the Dodgers' best uh, top three.
3: I uh, saw the Dodgers just release their roster, too. Yeah. 28 man roster, obviously. 15 yeah. pitchers on 15. it.
1: 15.
3: Talk about how different baseball is today than
1: mm-hmm. even when I was growing up. And it'll be different this for the World Series because there's the built in days off, as you talked about yeah. it earlier on in the program. A little it, bit different than what we've seen. If
3: you want Dodgers in seven, plus 450. Plus 450. This Dodgers. is from William Hill. Okay. Rays in seven. Plus 550. Dodgers in six, three to one. That's the favorite. Is it? Raising
1: a sweep. Oh, you got a big, 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 big number.
3: 28 to one.
1: That's a waste of money. Not happening. No, it's a waste of money. And I love betting long shots, but I don't even think I would go down that road. Hope it's good games. Love the broadcast crew. Um, And hope it goes the distance. Murph and Andy coming up at 2 o'clock. The Fanatics are in at 4. It's Tuesday. That means Cyclone Insider on your radio from 6 until 7. Tomorrow morning, the morning rushes back at 6. We're Miller and Condon. Weekdays 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station. 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.